All righty. So we are going live. We are live. We are live. We are live. Exciting. Oh, yes. This is exciting. We are making history. We are making data on Kubernetes history. This is incredible. Happy Monday to everyone. Very, very happy Monday. It's not typical that we do meetups on Mondays, but today is the perfect Monday to do so for multiple reasons. Uh, we've got quite a few things to celebrate. Um, uh, Raj Kumar, could you stop sharing your screen really quickly just while we do the intros? Um, I show them. Okay, perfect. Um, anyway, welcome to everybody. Always good to be here. I am live from California, uh, Vallejo, California. If you, you are not aware, it's an amazing city near San Francisco. And I'm joined by Raj Kumar, who is in Appledorn, Netherlands, a place that I love very, very much. It's a wonderful place. Beautiful natural landscapes around there. A nice, delightful train that you can take an old train uh, around the area. Highly recommended when we can all travel again more easily uh, once things start to calm down a little bit. But it's also exciting because we're celebrating a little bit later, but the uh, seventh birthday of Kubernetes. So Kubernetes turned seven today. We all remember our seventh birthdays. I know mine was a good one. I think I was dressed up like a Ninja Turtle. Um, but, but anyway, it's really, really good to be here with everybody. Um, as always as well, too, we, are, uh, we, have, uh, we have different things going on. Um, and one of the things that we have going on with Raj Kumar that we have not seen before, we have a lot of art in our community. We always have a lot of art in our community some music, things like that too. But he is also into drawing. So that's going to become an integral part of today. But we're not going to, no, no spoilers uh, just yet. Raj Kumar, welcome to the Data on Kubernetes community. For all the folks out there, remember you can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, get in our Slack, check us out on YouTube. We're streaming live on YouTube. Ask questions in the chat. Always ask questions in the chat um, to, uh, to, to get conversations going there. More than happy to, uh, to answer your questions here as well as in our Slack. That being said, Raj Kumar, welcome to the meetup. Welcome to the webinar. Tell us about yourself. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, well, I really love the energy. And I think one of the bright things about having a lot of positive energy is that it is very contagious. So even though if I am perhaps very boring, I think this energy is already getting me upstarted. So thank you very much for having me. And yeah. about me, uh, well, uh, you can call me Raj. My full name is Raj Kumar Balakrishnan, but Perfect. feel free to call me Raj. And I formerly was working for uh, Royal Agri-Farm Group, which is an agricultural company and focused on sustainability and bringing best farming practices to protect people and the planet. And what was I doing there? I was responsible for site reliability engineering. So that's what I was doing. So software engineer at heart and uh, very comfortable with crisis response. And that's me in principle. As of today, I'm jobless and I'm very happy to be engaging with all of you. And in a week's time, I'm quite excited to be joining Microsoft uh, at their customer success team, uh, to be working with uh, the rest of the customer community in the Netherlands and helping them derive value out of uh, Azure platform as a whole. All right, so this is me in principle and outside work. I love to swim and I'm also an amateur pianist, if I will. So that's me, basically. That's cool. That's cool. All right, so pianist, do you play your own music or you learn, or did you compose? Do you, how long, when did, how did you start with piano? Tell me about that. Well, I think I'm not that far yet. Right now, I'm quite decent in watching notes and following the notes through. So okay. uh, I'm not composing my music just yet, but I try to double and perform sheet music uh, of like pop 
or any okay. other Western. That's good. That's good. Genre. That's good. That's good. Good way to stay busy. Um, all right. Very, very good. And can you tell us about when did you start drawing on the iPad? How did that start? Ah, okay. So this happened uh, when I had a chance to uh, visit Switzerland in 2019 for okay. actually a community event. And I thought, okay, I wanted, I for a very long time wanted to buy an iPad and I was passing by the Apple store. And for some reason, uh, there were some kind of discounts going on and I thought, okay, this is the moment, let's go grab one. And when I picked it, I started doing my first presentation on my iPad and it apparently worked very well. So I, I thought I could express myself much better when I could write uh, rather than on a PPD template or so. So that's how it all started in 2019. And since then I do all my notes or try to do as much as my presentations on the iPad by drawing and stuff. Very, very good. Well, that being said, let's jump right in. If you want to share your screen so we can check out and see what you're drawing, go for it. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to share my screen again. Okay, perfect. And say start broadcast. All right, we got it. Good. Sweet. And let's change the template so people could see uh, not the lines, but a clean white page. Blank, a blank. All right, so for today's session, we were going to talk about Kubernetes. In general, Kubernetes is usually perceived to be very complex, and of course, I'm not denying it. It has a bunch of complexity to it, but I believe that should not be a barrier for people who are starting on their journey, uh, on their learning journey towards Kubernetes. So uh, today, the entirety of the idea is to make Kubernetes very accessible, break down what exactly is happening behind the screen in, in a bite-sized uh, manner. So if you are already an expert and are already deploying pods and running your workloads on this platform, Today is perhaps not the best day to derive a lot of insights. So the content of today's uh, event is mostly targeted towards people who are starting their journey on Kubernetes and who are very new to it. So that's the entirety of the idea. So uh, at the end of the session, uh, let's see. Right now it's six ten and Abelard, and maybe I think I might be able to run the session for the next 30 minutes at most. And what we are intending to cover is uh, basically the principles behind Kubernetes as to why it is built the way it is built. And we're gonna cover two principles. And then from why we're gonna move into what. So uh, what exactly does, all these principles are great, but uh, how exactly are these principles translating into the definition of this platform? And then three, we're gonna go through uh, the usual concepts, the terminologies that you will keep coming across when you start to join the Kubernetes platform. And once we are done with all of this, I'm going to show you, uh, take you into the Microsoft Cloud platform, which is Azure, and show you how you can spin up a Kubernetes cluster and how you would deploy your first container. 
So at the end of the session, if everything goes well, we will know why, what, how Kubernetes, and practically we would have logged in into the Azure platform, spun up the first Kubernetes cluster, and we would have deployed our first application. So this is the idea for today. And if that is all right, we are gonna get started. Do it, so, let's do it. Fantastic. So uh, as let's start with the name, Kubernetes. And as you might have seen, this is also written as K8S, and that's because there are eight letters between K and S. So there's four here, there's four here. So the term Kubernetes is also written as K, eight, and S. And this word is being derived from the Greek mythology, the Greek language, and this refers to a person who is a pilot or a helmsman. Okay. So when you imagine a pilot or a helmsman, all you can think about is, okay, let, let's think about a ship here and a ship which is being piloted by a captain and these ships are carrying a lot of containers. And I would like to set this scene on your head and we are gonna translate this picture into uh, you know, the uh, working components of Kubernetes. So Kubernetes is a container orchestration platform. It allows you to run containers as simple as that. And when it comes to Azure Kubernetes service, it's a fully managed container orchestration platform. Uh, usually, if you were to spin up your own Kubernetes cluster or you, you were to build your own Kubernetes cluster, there are a certain set of responsibilities which a person has to take care of, like patching my notes, uh, keeping the kernel uh, up to date and uh, keeping the security aspects of my uh, different systems, my nodes uh, in line with the latest uh, releases and updates. And these kind of aspects are being abstracted away when you go to a fully managed service. So we just uh, read about what Kubernetes is, and uh, well, the terminology where it is being derived from, and uh, what exactly is the definition behind uh, the platform Kubernetes? Now we are going to talk about why Kubernetes, so why it is built the way it is built. While there are several design principles uh, around the construction of Kubernetes as a platform, uh, there are two things which we will uh, look into today. So one is uh, one of the uh, driving principle for Kubernetes is workload portability. So the idea is I can run my uh, compute or I can run any of my job on Kubernetes and I can take it from one container platform to another container platform absolutely with no hurdles. So one of the key principles that they had in mind is workloads that are running on Kubernetes has to be portable across any provider, any container orchestration provider. So this was the first fundamental principle. This was one of the fundamental principles. So what this does to us, basically, uh, so I'm, I'm not necessarily locked in with, be it Google or Amazon or Microsoft or any particular vendor per se, because the principle behind which my workload is being built 
uh, and it is being deployed supports the principle of portability. So workload portability is what? And the second aspect that we will also go through in today's session is how the entirety of Kubernetes API, it is declarative. So uh, when it comes to programming languages, uh, there are several paradigms. So there are functional programming approaches, there are imperative programming approaches, and then there are also declarative programming approach. When it comes, okay, so what exactly is the difference in here? When, uh, let, let's say I, I want to make a coffee uh, in the morning. If I would tell someone, hey, you know what? You will have to wake up, go grab a cup and pour some milk, pour some coffee, pour some, put some sugar, and then mix it all up, warm it up and give it to me then, okay. So that's a very dreadful coffee anyways, but I'm giving a set-by-set -set instruction on how to prepare coffee. And this is the imperative way of doing it. I'm giving instruction by instruction. But the way the Kubernetes API has been programmed is uh, they are declarative. I do not say how to prepare coffee, but I say, you know, get me coffee. So I'm specifying a desired state and I'm taking, uh, well, and I'm taking advantage of the platform to do the imperative instructions for me. Okay. So we uh, started with what Kubernetes, where it is originating from, what is this K8ES, and then we spoke about two design principles. One is workload portability, and the other one, what we spoke was uh, how the platform supports a declarative way of doing things. Okay, now how, how do these principles, how does this platform come together? Basically, this is where we are going to start drawing, and we're going to talk through the, uh, now that we've spoken about the what and why of Kubernetes, now we will see how this what and why is getting together in action. So uh, basically, this container orchestration platform is nothing but a collection of computers. So computer one, computer two, computer three. So we have a lot of computers. And on the top of this computer, there is this Kubernetes orchestration layer. And this Kubernetes orchestration layer is exposing a set of APIs, and these APIs are accessible via Cube Cutter, which is our tool, and there are multiple ways of pronouncing it. All that it does is Cube Cutter gives you an opportunity to interact with this API, and you can ask these APIs to do a set of things for you and what you can ask them to do. So there are several types, there are several terminologies that you will come across when you talk about Kubernetes. So most of the times you will run your workload as containers, right? And these containers will run on an object called pods. So pods is the first terminology that you will very often come across when we talk about Kubernetes. So pods uh, allows you uh, to run one or multiple containers in a co-located workspace. So we have pods, and these pods are executed on the top of these container uh, on the top of these computers through a Kubernetes object called deployment. A deployment, what it basically does, 
it, it is a YAML file and it is a declarative instruction to the Kubernetes cluster as to what and how it needs to run those pods. So basically, uh, the deployment object will have some instruction how, on how exactly the pods needs to run. Say, for example, when your workload is running, when your workload, which is a container, which is running on a pod, is defined using a, a deployment object. And let's say you want four copies of your containers to be run. And therefore, you're saying, okay, I want four copies of my pod to be running on the cluster. Then the deployment object under the hood is going to use what we call as a replica set. So, so uh, I, I, the user, I have an application. So I'm taking that uh, application. Let's say, okay, this is the application of very bad application. So, and I'm going to kubectl API and say, hey, kubectl, let's write a deployment object. And that deployment object says, and this is going to be a YAML file, and that YAML file says, hey, okay, I have an API, uh, I have a set of instruction, okay, you need to deploy a pod, you need to deploy it uh, uh, with four replicas, and then it is going to be, okay, so it's going to deploy four replicas, and it is going to deploy my pod, which is my app one, and the moment this uh, YAML file is being executed on the uh, cube. It is being executed via the kubectl API by saying kubectl apply EF and my YAML file. And these instructions will be picked up by the uh, scheduler. And then those pods will start running on my container. So now I will have app one, app one, app one, because we said there are gonna be four pods. So this is P1, P2, P3, and let's assume the fourth pod is also running on the third uh, computer. So uh, for uh, simplicity's sake, we're going to be calling it computers, but in principle, what happens, uh, these computers are not just bare metals, these computers will have some hypervisors running on the top of them, and those hypervisors will be running virtual machines, and those virtual machines will be running uh, container runtime, and those container runtime will be capable of running these containers. Okay, so now, so far, we have seen how this user takes this package called app1, uses the kubectl API, writes a YAML uh, deployment object, and deploys the app1 pod, uh, defining four replica sets. So the deployment uses replica set to spin up four counter pods on uh, yeah, the uh, Kubernetes uh, nodes. So these uh, computers, what we call uh, for simplicity's sake, in the Kubernetes world, they are called as nodes. So these nodes, uh, together, when they when they are uh, at least on the context of Azure Kubernetes service, when these nodes fall under the same SKU. Say same compute and memory, they form a node pool. So now having said all of this, uh, right now your application is running, your application is containerized and it is running as pod, as replicas on the top of this Kubernetes platform. Now, 
you, you just saw how exactly we are declaratively instructing the Kubernetes cluster that you meet this app one in terms of four replica sets, and then the Kubernetes platform picks it up and does that for you. You, does, you do not say, uh, okay, listen, Kubernetes cluster, you will have to take my app and run it on node one, and you need to take another copy of the app and run it on node two. You basically do not get into those finer instructions, but rather say what your desired state for your application is. Having said this, the app is getting deployed on your cluster. So uh, we spoke about what Kubernetes, uh, and we spoke about the why part of Kubernetes. That's basically uh, the two principles. One is workload portability, and the other one is how we are giving uh, declarative instructions. And on the how part, we spoke about few terminologies where we started with uh, uh, pods, we spoke about deployments, we spoke about replica sets for now, and we also briefly touched on nodes and how the entire platform exposes its API via a cube cutter command. So this is so far the theory part. And we are already uh, about 15 minutes uh, through the session. And without further ado, we're gonna get into the uh, Azure platform and see how we can spin up this Kubernetes cluster and deploy our first YAML definition and see all of this work in action. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, what I will do, but I'll stop sharing my screen uh, from the iPad and rather uh, now go to my computer to show how the Kubernetes cluster works on the Azure platform. All right, All sounds right. good. Very, very nice introduction as well. Very, very helpful. You can never repeat these things too much. And also having the visual representation, fantastic. Sweet. I really want this to be uh, as simple as possible. So if there yeah. are any questions, please feel free to interrupt me and uh, we'll get this further through. And I'm going to start sharing my screen again. Share screen, screen, share. All righty. Okay. So I, uh, do you get to see my screen? Yep, you're good. Perfect. Perfect. All right, good. so uh, if you've not seen this before, this is how the Azure portal looks like. And let's say we want to get started with Kubernetes service. Now there are several ways, uh, irrespective of the cloud platform you go to, uh, each cloud platform exposes multiple ways to get started on their service offering. So there are uh, there, there is always a CLI tooling, there are APIs through which you can interact, and there is also a uh, UI uh, through which you can interact with the platform. For the sake of simplicity, we are not going to do command line. We are rather going to go through the steps on the UI to see how the cluster is being constructed. So let's say I go ahead and tap on create a resource. And if you can see here, it is uh, the Kubernetes service is right on the top on under popular offers. If not, you can also search for it and click on Kubernetes service and we're gonna click on create. And there are several things that we need to uh, start populating. So when it comes oh, to- Oh, sorry, sorry, Raj, really quickly, we got someone in the audience asking if you can just show the picture one more time really quickly so they can take a, a screenshot from your iPad. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. 
Yeah, um, if you don't mind just switching over really quickly. Uh, maybe what I can do uh, even better. Okay, first I will share the screen because they asked for it. And yeah. at the end of the session, we could share this as artifacts. Okay. Uh, start broadcast. And Basically, you're a you're a famous artist, and you can't hide behind your fame. <laughs> uh, they do. Stop sharing. Okay. Uh, do you see my? Oh no, not happening. One more time. Okay. Oh, there we go. Yep. Yep. Now we got it. I'm gonna take okay. a picture of that so too. Let's make it <laughs> better take a screenshot a of that. That's good. All righty. Um, I'm going to tweet this. And let's say the terminology. And then we say Okay, so oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's mostly even, it. That's even better getting some color. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to retake that picture. Good. Cool. All right, thank you very much. All right. So we're gonna stop sharing one more time from my iPad. Okay, it's gone. And I'll start sharing from my PC. Okay. Share. Okay, so back to the Azure portal screen. Uh, so we picked up the uh, Kubernetes resource, and when when I clicked on you know start creating a Kubernetes cluster for me, this is the first screen that says okay. So uh, if you're new to the Azure platform, and I assume you could be new, so I'll go with uh, even uh, even finer and lower level of detailing. So the way every resource on the cloud platform is organized is at two levels. One, uh, uh, the, the fundamental unit on which all your resources sit in is called subscription. So as you can see, this is uh, where this is what I'm talking about. And subscription is where you you know, for example, your credit card is attached. So I have a Visual Studio Professional subscription, and I have a credit card attached here. And I'm going to create a resource. A resource group is basically a collection of resources. Now my Kubernetes cluster needs to sit inside a logical container and this resource group is that logical. Okay, now let's call it dev.kubernetes.doc.community. Normally, please don't name your resource group this big, but I'm doing it. Uh, one more time, dev Kubernetes community. Okay, so now I have a resource group, which is a logical container created, and now we're gonna call dev. So let's call this cluster. No, we'll call this cluster production. And I'm gonna spin up this cluster in a region. Uh, because I live in the Netherlands, West Europe is the closest region to me. So I'm putting that on and it basically says uh, the availability zones being checked in. The availability zones are, uh, okay. So these are zones upon which your 
cluster nodes will be spun up in such a way that if one of the RAM server goes blown off, your cluster can still be made available via another node belonging to an availability zone. So an availability zone will be a cross-section of different servers belonging to different layers of uh, network, compute, and the other infrastructural, infrastructural connectivity. So this is gonna run the Kubernetes 1.19.11 version, which is fine. And then it is gonna talk to me about uh, how many nodes do I want? Because for the sake of demo, I'm gonna just say one. And then the, this is basically the size of the computer that you would want. So it talks to you about what kind of VM size. Uh, do you have uh, compute intensive workloads? Then go for a higher VM size, but more compute, but more memory. If it is, uh, you know, if your cluster is not going to perform a lot of compute intensive workload, then you can choose your VM sizes accordingly. But now let's go ahead with DS2v2. I'm not going through a lot of steps in between node pools, authentication, network integrations. Uh, basically, you're done here. You can create a cluster and get started. No problem, right? Uh, Node pools are basically the number of virtual machines. So you remember from the iPad, uh, how the cube cutoff orchestration layer sits on the top of several computers. So here, basically you tell uh, the Azure portal as to how many nodes, how many computers we want. And then next we are talking about authentication. So whether do you want an identity provider to be linked to your Kubernetes cluster? So for example, let's say, uh, we have Azure Active Directory, which is an identity provider, and that can be integrated to Kubernetes cluster. So the way you log in and access to your Kubernetes cluster is being governed by the permissions that you will configure on your identity provider. Let's break it into simple terms. Let's say you're logging into your Facebook uh, account or to your Twitter account. Your twi the identity for your Twitter account is provided by Twitter. And imagine Azure Active Directory is replaced with Twitter. Then I say, okay, from Twitter, I have my connections, Bart Farrell and two other users would have access to my Kubernetes cluster. Then I basically use Twitter as an identity provider to manage my authentication for the cluster. So this is the story around authentication and networking basically tells you whether you need to go ahead and use the KubeNet, which is the, uh, which is the network component that comes as part of the default Kubernetes cluster, or do you want to use the Azure networking component? And integrations, uh, you can always integrate your Kubernetes cluster to a container registry. You remember, we spoke about, uh, I have an app which can be containerized. And if you have an app that can be containerized, we can also imagine that containerized app as hosted on a container registry. It can be Docker, for example, and you can connect it here. So then we have tags review, but basically you do not have to go through all of those steps. The platform takes care for you and does the default configuration. But just in case you're wondering what those four tabs that I just overpassed, those are the definitions. So let's go and say create. And in some time, it is gonna spin up a cluster with the definition we just gave. And as you can see, the, it has already started progressing. However, due to the interest of time, 
which all of us have a very limited capacity. I'm going to go and switch to the other resource group I just created before joining this call, and that's called Doc Community. And if you look into that Doc Community, because I told you this Azure Kubernetes service is a fully managed service, all you get is one resource that calls that is called Kubernetes service. Well, uh, there is an asterisk here. We'll get to that later. But what we need to know, so this is the cluster. And when it comes to the cluster, uh, okay. So now we have a fantastic cluster spun across multiple computers, uh, which in this case is one node, of course, but which practically can be spun across multiple computers. And now I have an infrastructure ready. Now you need to run your workload, isn't it? How am I going to run my container? So let's go and look for workloads. When we spoke about the how part of Kubernetes, um, we spoke about deployments, right? Which is the fundamental unit of which is the fundamental unit of narrating to the Kubernetes cluster as to how you need to run, what you need to run. So this is what we see here. And then we've got pods, we've got replica sets, stateful sets. Uh, we did not go through in detail about stateful sets, daemon sets, jobs, or cron jobs, which I'm going to do it in the closure. But for now, all you need to know is the uh, how you can get started on this Kubernetes cluster by deploying your first workload. Right? So uh, what you practically do is go, uh, OK, one more time. Kubernetes cluster, go to workloads. And, and and we are in deployments, click on add. And this interface basically is a text editor which is asking you to put in your YAML, your declarative information. So if you go to my VS Code, so what we're gonna do is basically deploy a voting application. This is a default getting started example that's on Microsoft Docs. So you can take a look at it. So what this app does, it allows you to vote either for cat or dogs. So do you like cats? Vote for cats. Do you like dogs? Vote for dogs. That's about it. And it is built in a way where, where you have a front end, where you have a back end, and the back end, uh, back end depends on a readers container and it passes. Now we're going to talk through how that declarative instruction is, right? So let's only, okay. Let's focus only on the first 32 lines. Too much, isn't it? Now nah, let's close it. Too much. So when it comes to Kubernetes, there are only four fields that are important. One is API version, kind, metadata, spec. So what are these parameters? So basically, when we started, uh, if you remember that iPad drawing we made, we set this Kubernetes layer, this orchestration layer, which is spreading across multiple nodes, it is exposing uh, its API uh, by our cube cutter, which is one way of executing, which is one way of uh, interacting with the uh, Kubernetes, right? And that API definition expects you to mention what API version of the cluster are you trying to use? What is the kind? Because we spoke about deployment. We also spoke about uh, jobs. There are daemon sets. There are stateful sets. So what kind, of, uh, what kind of workload are you trying to execute on the cluster is what we mentioned. 
and then some metadata about the workload. So metadata is actually data about data, right? So in this case, like I told you, it's a simple voting uh, service. So I'm gonna put some Azure, uh, uh, okay, I'm gonna give a label called Azure Vote Backend, which has the following specification. You remember we spoke about uh, how the cluster behaves in a declarative way, uh, where I'm basically saying, hey, you know what? You need to select a node that runs Linux operating system, and my container name is Azure Voting Backend, and this is the container image, and then I have some environment variables, and I say, what is the uh, limit of my CPU memory? And uh, once this information is passed on, uh, once this information is passed on to the Kubernetes cluster, it will start spinning the pods for you. Okay, now comes an interesting question. It is nice and all that you know you're spinning this pod inside my, you know, you're spinning this container inside a pod inside the cluster. But how am I going to access this from the outside world? So we're going to see how that works right now. So basically what you do, uh, this is the backend. So this is the YAML definition for the backend. And then there is a service definition for the deployment we just made. Uh, and I will talk you through what exactly that service definition is. And then there is a front end which interacts with this backend, which also has a service definition. So all in all, we've got about 95 lines of code. So control A, control C put it here, and when I say add, it will start, uh, it, the declarative message will be passed on to the Kubernetes cluster, and then it will start deploying. Uh, again, in the interest of time, before the call, I deployed those containers. So we're gonna interact with the kubectl API to figure out uh, what has been deployed onto this cluster. So um, entering into my Azure portal from the CLI, and it is requesting a download. So give us a moment. Yay, we are there. So what we need to do is uh, I'm trying to ask, hey, kubectl, get me all the deployments I did on your cluster. And, and, and it takes time, as you can see. There is an Azure voting front end. There is an Azure voting back end. So there is a voting application with the front end. There is a voting application with the back end. But we also spoke about services, isn't it? But why do I not see it? Because you only asked for deployment. We did not ask for services. And if you look here, this is kind deployment and this is kind service. So the service is the unit which is going to make this container accessible to another container internally or to another external traffic coming from the outside world of this cluster. So if I do kubectl get service, so you can actually see there is uh, the service endpoints that are returned by the kubectl get service command. And what we are interested is the uh, Cluster, I'm sorry, is the external IP for the voting front end because it's the voting front end application which has a load balancer and therefore has an external IP which is accessible. And now let's say new tab, 
put that IP address, let's go, bingo, we have a voting application. So this voting application, basically what happens from the external world when I put on this IP, this resolves to the public IP address. Uh, I mean, this resolves to the uh, Kubernetes cluster IP and from the cluster IP, it reaches out to the ingress controller and from the ingress controller, the service definition says where exactly this app is running within the cluster. So cats, dogs, and if someone who's watching this uh, before I click on reset would put on the same uh, IP address on your browser, you're gonna see the same state because the state is being persisted on the backend. Now, let's say I cannot give people this IP address, right? So it's gonna be hard. So let's go buy a domain. So I bought a domain just like every developer does. I went ahead and bought yet another domain and that's called purpleginger.xyz. And right now this purpleginger.xyz has an A record which is pointing to the IP address we just created. So if I now copy purple ginger and put it on, so what basically happens, purple ginger goes to the DNS provider, the name server is solved to the uh, public IP of the service, and that service is running on the Kubernetes cluster, which in turn can effectively point. So if you can see, um, is this the, so which in turn, what happens when we do purpleginger.xyz basically points to this service, which is a load balancer, which basically does a selection on the Azure voting frontend app. And that results back to this deployment, which is a pod running on a, which is a container running within a pod in the Kubernetes platform. And that is how the resolution from the outside world to the inside happens. While in, in ideally in production, there are gonna be a lot of extra components that will get into the picture, but then the fundamentals does not change and this is how it basically works. So this is, uh, uh, in my opinion, uh, quite a primer to uh, get started on the Kubernetes journey. And I think from here on, it would be quite easier, I believe, to go through more advanced concepts on Kubernetes. So as a wrap up, what did we do? So today the idea was to go through day zero, Azure Kubernetes service. We spoke about what Kubernetes is. It's a, sorry, fully managed container orchestration platform. We spoke about the principles, declarative versus imperative, how it supports workload portability. And we also went through some concepts, pods, which is a collection of co-located containers, Replica sets, services, deployment, stateful sets, and jobs. I told you I will explain what stateful set and jobs are, which is another workload type on the Kubernetes cluster. Stateful set is nothing but, just like its name suggests, it allows you to run stateful application. It works in a way where it can persist state right inside the pod where the container is running. So uh, if you're running stateful applications, say for example, uh, yeah, I'm running an ingress controller and I need to persist the state of uh, all my routing uh, information. Bingo, let's go ahead and spin a stateful set. Or I want to spin up another type of a workload where, okay, uh, there are like 200 photos in some storage container in my Dropbox, in my Google Drive, 
all I want this job to do is, you know, my Google Photos uh, subscription is terminated. There's no free storage available anymore. So I will run my, uh, I will run my script, which will go connect to my Google Photos app, collect all the photos, put it on another connect. Let's say you have a job like that and you want it to run. You don't want it to run continuously. You just want it to run once. Then you basically run that workload as a job on the top of Kubernetes cluster. All in all, the platform allows you to run different types of workloads, therefore helps you to accomplish a lot of different kinds of things. So you could create value for your end customers by delivering any one of these workload types. So when it comes to Azure Kubernetes service, Azure manages the control plane for you. So the API upon which the Kubernetes uh, layer itself runs is being managed and the nodes on where the containers would run is being offered to you for uh, accessibility to do you know, uh, things of your choice, but don't try to mess with it. And this is mostly the idea behind day zero Azure Kubernetes service. And thank you so much for being with me. Oh, fantastic. That was, that was wonderful. Now, a couple things just to keep in mind. We, we got some questions during the talk. For starters, all right, this may be a little bit uncomfortable, but in our community, we try to be as open and transparent as possible. And I'm sure this is something you've been asked before. If we're talking about, you know, the options that are out there, because, you know, some folks get a little bit overwhelmed, like, do I want to go for Azure? Do I want to go for GKE? Do I want to go for EKS? Principally speaking, in your opinion, what are the differences, you know, what is the best use case or users, you know, consumers um, for AKS as opposed to those other providers? Uh, this is a fantastic question. Hmm. There is no right or wrong answer here. Uh, it is the Kubernetes platform as a whole, uh, you know, it is open source. So it is heavily being contributed by the community. And there is, if let's say if your team has a lot of background on the Microsoft stack and your workloads, your, your uh, other engineering workloads are already running on the top of Azure. Say for example, you're using Logic Apps, you're heavily invested on Azure Active Directory and a lot of other integration services on the Azure platform, then maybe Kubernetes on Azure platform is a better option because you do not have to build a lot of connectors yourself. A lot of things are available outside the box. But again, this is only a guideline. I wouldn't at any point in time, you know, uh, would push a particular platform or a vendor towards the customer. I think uh, in, in principle, it's more about capability of the team and if they are comfortable on the Microsoft platform, please go ahead and use it. In the otherwise, uh, it's actually a free choice. At this moment, I'm not able to think of a reason why uh, I would position one platform more better than the other. And I'm also, I do not have much visibility into GKE and EKS, so yeah. I'm not able to comment much. But uh, wild guess, it shouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's interesting, as you said, keeping in mind that open source mentality um, and, you know, we are getting to the point where we're seeing, you know, cross-cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, this kind of approach. So it's really about a, a cloud-native mindset where we're not so focused on the vendor and we're more just focused on, you know, what is it, what are the, the things plan. that I need to be, exactly, what are the things Absolutely. that I need to be doing? Um, with that in mind, you know, as someone who's worked as an SRE, 
What do you think? Because and you, as you were talking about the capabilities of the team and you said previously, which I really liked, is that for a lot of folks out there, it gets really overwhelming of like, oh, gosh, I have to, to learn this. I need to know this to know that I need to learn this for in terms of your personal journey, because you've been working for a while as a platform engineer, got tons of experience. What were the what were the things that helped you when you started working on when, when you started working with Kubernetes? Okay, one of the first things that helped, uh, there's this gentleman called Saad Ali, uh, who's a senior software engineer at Google, and he has a fantastic primer that talks about the principles behind Kubernetes. I think the way things that settle in my head, uh, like you said, sometimes it's so overwhelming, technology start keeps changing every single day, and it's really hard to keep you know pace with all of these topics. So I rather try to focus on why we need to choose something we are being asked to choose in the first place. So I try to research on the why aspect of it. And those content help me to learn and understand the platform better. In that respect, I would definitely recommend the talk by Saad Ali, uh, where he uh, narrates about the design principles behind Kubernetes. So once that why part is embedded so strongly on your head, I think then that gives you an idea as to why you need to solve a problem a certain way. And then you're naturally curious about how you need to do it. And then the learning journey takes you on its own and without you trying to do much. This is a great So point. that's the starting point I would recommend. Now, good. Now, also as well, too, is that, you know, you know, having worked in where you were before and now going, you know, to, 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 to your new position is thinking about, you know, how decisions get made. Like we, we often see, you know, is the push, the pull, are the, you know, is it CIOs and CTOs that are pushing for Kubernetes adoption? Is it on the other side where it's coming more so from developers? You've been an SRE. How was it in your case? All right. So uh, I think every organization is uh, different and uh, maybe there is not a singular uh, pattern, so to speak. I think in most cases from what I've heard in terms of experience, the mandate usually comes from the team. So there is usually a senior engineer that's coming in from another organization where he has done that uh, executed sales value, and he pitches it to the uh, leadership, hey, come on guys, uh, we need to invest on this platform and we need to uh, reshape our platform strategy. And then from there, it is being picked on. But definitely, without the backing of the leadership, because that's quite an investment to put your engineering team, to construct a platform, uh, to remodel your services, to be able to run on the top of this platform. And therefore, it's also an organizational mindset. So the way I see it, it always starts, uh, the, uh, the motivation starts from engineering, but uh, the execution aspect of it in terms of budgets and all the financial angles and the organizational mindset that has to change because every business needs to invest their time and effort to remodel their applications to be able to run on the top of uh, a container platform. So maybe or maybe not they get new features, then they will have to understand, I will have to sacrifice a period of time so my app can be modernized and be able to run on the top of the cluster and they are not immediately aware of the benefits. And therefore the push, the, uh, the push starts from the engineering team, but then it is broadcasted and at an organizational level from the leadership, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And, and like you said, is that, 
the time, let's say the, you know, the, the, the time is necessary until you start seeing a return on that investment. I think that is, is something that might be uncomfortable or something that just needs to be better explained in the context of, of that transition to working with Kubernetes. And, you know, we, we live in a very quick fix world. We want plug and play. We want to see results immediately. But like you said, the cultural changes, the capabilities of the engineering team, um, there is that learning curve, you know, the adaptation period that, that is going to take some time. In, totally. you know, the thing is, yeah, no, the thing is, no, is that, and you've been around technologies for, for a long time. So when a technology is, you know, seven years old, um, normally we might think of something like that as being, you know, mature. I guess at the same time, if we think about a child that's seven years old, you know, there are some seven-year-olds that are more mature than others. But, you know, I would say that Kubernetes, it's fun if we think about it that way, right? It's because like Kubernetes is, is still very much in, a, in an early stage in terms of maturity, um, in terms of, you know, you talk to lots of different organizations. I, know, I don't know how it is in the Netherlands, but normally I'm in Spain. And there are plenty of uh, organizations that aren't aware uh, or aren't even thinking about, you know, Kubernetes. Maybe they've heard about OpenShift. Maybe, you know, many more would be working with containers, Docker, et cetera. Um, but I think we're still very much in an early period. You know, you're talking about day zero. We've had some talks about day one, even day two. Um, but if, if technology is seven years old, we're still not even at day three or four. I think that says some interesting things about the technology. What do you expect to happen in the next few years with Kubernetes in terms of, uh, it's adoption on a global level, perhaps uh, simplifying some of these things so it's not so overwhelming. What do you expect? Okay, so uh, whenever a question in terms of, you know, what do you think will happen in the next couple of years? Well, the best way to predict that is also to look back and see what has happened in the past, right? Great point. Uh, one, of, one singular thing that has happened continuously in the past is how things uh, one of, one of the best things that software engineering uh, organizations have been so good at is abstracting things. So we started working with uh, yeah, uh, relays and switches. We went to transistors. We went to logic, lo uh, I'm sorry, logic gates. We went to processors, microprocessors. And, and you know, every time there is always an abstraction. Our computer is being abstracted to a higher level. Uh, what I'm expecting in the next coming years to happen as the entire idea of Kubernetes is being abstracted even farther away. Uh, and maybe the serverless aspect of uh, Kubernetes can evolve even further. So at the end of the day, uh, the idea is how quickly can I create value for my end customers? And okay, so Kubernetes allows you to have a unified and a repeatable DevOps pattern that reduces time, all right, great. Is that anything else? more is that anything else can I do to solve uh, the time that has taken for me to convert my concept to ideas? If I think in those terms, I, I think maybe serverless is another potential candidate which can, uh, you know, uh, which can be embedded into the idea of Kubernetes and that could progress more further. And the adoption across geographies would increase at, at seven years. Uh, at least within the community in the Netherlands and even outside, uh, the, the number of community events, the number of people that talk about it have gradually increased. I think there is still one problem though. The value of adopting to a platform engineering experience, uh, it, maybe it is not being very clearly communicated. So I think that is one challenge. So I think we will get better at representing value of adopting to a platform as such in very clear, tangible metrics. 
And the next to that, uh, in terms of tech, I think serverless would be uh, another uh, paradigm shift that will happen on the Kubernetes point. I really liked what you mentioned right there about the experience aspect, um, because that you know, the, you know, we 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 this is kind of spun spun up from you know starting with user experience, customer experience, developer experience. You know, I think it was this year there was a first, or there was, or was going to be a developer developer experience conference. And so I think that that's getting bigger. And so thinking about that is that are we talking about technology or the experience working with that technology? You know, they they kind of go hand in hand. But I think, like you said, as those conversations get more and more out into the open, we sort of take away this scary layer of, oh, you can't do it or it's too difficult or you need 30 years of experience. Um, I think that's I think that's a really, really good way of looking at it. I think also as well, too, what I find particularly interesting about SRE is, is exactly as you said, is because, you know, when you're for me, if you're talking about SRE, you know, obviously depending on the size of the organization, but generally global ones. You're talking about global geography. You know, you've got to have on-call shifts, alerts that are ready to go um, for for someone that's going to be in different countries. We're coordinating things like that. Um, so because of that and those shared experiences, I think those things are getting healthy conversations out in the open about how this needs to be tackled so that it's not as frightening for organizations when they decide to make that jump. Um, that being said, you recommended a couple of good uh, resources from uh, Saad Ali. I've looked that up and it looks, and anyway, it looks really, really good, as well as his 101 about uh, storage, which looks interesting too, um, because that's obviously a very big thing, particularly if we're talking about, you know, stateful sets, where is this data going? How is it being managed? Uh, is it resilient? Um, is it safe to be transported? Transporting data can get tricky. Um, but in terms of other resources, any others that you would recommend that have worked for you and your experience? Um, well, there's one more that talks about how you can do a Kubernetes learning journey in about 50 days. Maybe I can look it up. Okay. Put the... I mean, that's the thing as well, too, is that, you know, there, there are many, many, many resources that are out there. And so that um, sometimes gets a little bit, is start with one and you'll be okay. So I actually like the Kubernetes learning part from Microsoft. While yep. I'm still not officially on board, wearing the hat, <laughs> so I still can independently watch for this content, and I really like. Uh, so where I share the chat, and I'm putting the URL right here. Perfect. Yeah, if you just drop that in there, we'll put that in our Slack. Very good. Awesome. Um, so that. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, that's uh, that's another one that I like. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Oh, that's good. No, no, that's good. If it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. Um, can I ask you actually to stop sharing your screen because we have a little oh, bit of a tradition. Okay, you did already. We have a little bit of a tradition every time we're finishing a meetup. It was very coincidental that you, when we got started, you're like, hey, I'm going to use my iPad because like I said, this is the first time someone's done that. We've had other people use some drawings, but generally they're already done and then they bring them on here. Um, but to have someone doing it live and particularly, you know, freehand was really cool because in all of our meetups, um, we have a graphic recorder. And let me know when you can see my screen. Whoa. Yeah. So while you've been talking, uh, our great, uh, my great friend Angel, who's in who's in Spain, he's been uh, he's been drawing the stuff that you've been talking about. So that's why I thought it was I didn't want to tell you when we got started, um, because it's always a nice touch. So this is a wonderful way, and I, that's why I think it's so cool that you use the visual learning aspect of it. Everybody learns in different ways. Some people like documentation, some people like videos, some people like podcasts. So as a community, we try to offer as many different learning opportunities because there are people that learn in different ways. 
Um, so anyway, that's uh, Angel's uh, depiction of what you did. And I think you did uh, it. Yeah. I'm like, boo. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, but we are too, because like I said, it was so cool. And when, so he and I have been talking when this got started, I was like, hey, he's gonna be trying. So anyway, this worked out really, really well. Um, I would love to have you back on. Congratulations Absolutely. on your on your transition to um, to your new job. Um, but this was great, and you know we have tons of different perspectives on Kubernetes. You can never go over uh, the basics too many times. Also, your perspective of having been an SRE now moving into the position of a solutions architect, um, very much focused on solving problems, helping people, um, is wonderful for for us to have. So that being said, if it's okay with you, I would like to continue the conversation in Slack because we had a few questions that we couldn't answer. Um, but um, but thank you so much for your time, Raj, and I hope to have you again. But thank you for all the positive energy. I think I owe as much as of what the session was today to the energy that you brought to the table. Oh, that for me, that's the, I, anytime, whether it's a Monday, Sunday, you got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, Raj, very nice to have you on. Hope to see you in the Netherlands at some point. I would love to get back to Appledorn. Um, that being said, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Very nice right, meeting you and the community. Bye-bye.